Good morning. It is my privilege and delight uh, to introduce this morning's chapel speaker, the Reverend Paul Billy Arnold. More, more often known around these parts as Jay Sudas's dad. Uh, Reverend Arnold is the founding pastor of the Presbyterian Church of what was known as Bangalore, India, now Bengaluru, so the city's name has changed. Um, he is a graduate of Covenant Theological Seminary, uh, where he also worked in their admissions office, so his first visit to this campus was in 1990 when I was a student and he was recruiting um, for Covenant Seminary. Uh, he is married to Shirley. They have three children. Many of you know Jay Sadas. He's the oldest. Uh, they have a daughter, Elsie, and another son, Joseph, who I'm told is now taller than his big brother. Yeah. Um, I, can, I can empathize. My son is now taller than me. Um, Reverend Arnold has six times seen tigers in the wild and has been chased even more frequently by wild elephants. Will you please welcome Reverend Paul Billy Arnold. Thank you very much for that very warm welcome. This morning I'd like for us to turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 27, and we want to look at verses 20 to 26. Uh, it's a familiar passage that you've probably read many times, and I don't want to read the whole passage, but uh, the whole story, but just uh, verses 20 to 26. Corrie ten Boon, a Dutch watchmaker, along with her father and family, helped many who were being persecuted by uh, the Nazi Holocaust during the years of the World War II. Later, she was imprisoned for her actions. And during that time, Corrie and Betsy uh, were sent to a political concentration camp and finally to Ravensbrück. Betsy's health deteriorated as she spent time, and she finally died on December 16, 1944, at the age of 59. Fifteen days later, Corey was released due to a clerical error. A week later, all the women in her age were sent to the gas chambers. Whether it's Corey, the watchmaker, or the Apostle Paul, the seafarer, in our text, I believe they help us understand that God is in charge and that He leaves nothing to chance. Listen to this portion of a very well-known story, um, for it helps us understand this message. At a time when many of you are staring finals, uh, assignments due, some of you graduating and perhaps, you know, been pushed around, storms on every side, don't know where uh, God is perhaps leading you. I think this is a helpful lesson 
for us to be reminded. Verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay upon us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet, now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of, of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship, and he said, Do not be afraid, Paul, you must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will ex be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Let's pray. Father, we ask that your words would penetrate our hearts and help us, O Lord, not just to be receivers of this word, but truly to take it to heart and to apply it in our lives. We recognize, O Lord, at a time in our youth, we think we know it all, we have it all together, and yet your word instructs us and has so much more that we need to learn. We pray that by your Holy Spirit's work in our hearts, we would continue to be students of your word. In Jesus' name, we pray. Spurgeon says, in every event, God has a purpose. Calamities of earthquake, devastations of storm, destructions of war, catastrophes and plagues have all been co-workers of God. Compelled to tug the gully of divine purpose across the sea of time. God is in charge of all things, leaving no place for chance. I believe the Heidelberg Catechism says it well when it says, all creatures are so in His hand that without His will, they cannot as much make a move. So what does this mean on this mountain? And for that matter of fact, halfway around the globe where I happen to live, when storms of life laugh, lash out at us, where do we find our hiding place? Who is our refuge? May I suggest to you that Paul the seafarer wants us to know about a promised hope. Now, if you are familiar with this passage, and I bet many of you have read this text many times, Luke has already set out a little secret in chapter 23, verse 11, where Paul is told that he will, in fact, make it to Rome. Many a times, it looked as though he wouldn't make it, though. Uh, there was this time when he was seized 
at the temple by a mob that attempted to uh, beat him up black and blue. An attempt was thwarted by the timely arrival of Roman soldiers to his rescue. Forty men had made an oath not to drink or eat until they had killed Paul, but he languished in jail during that time under Roman guard for two years, awaiting a decision from the Roman governor regarding his trial. Now he is a prisoner on a ship that is being battered to oblivion by a killer storm. He survives the storm only to encounter a new threat. The practice back then uh, was that soldiers who were in charge of prisoners in transit would be given the same punishment that prisoner deserved if they allowed the prisoner to escape. And so the prisoners in charge wanted to kill the prisoners in transit because they felt they were going to escape. God changed their hearts, hearts of hardened soldiers who naturally were more, more motivated to kill the prisoners than to save them. And then finally, we all know about Paul being bitten by a deadly snake in the island of Malta after the shipwreck. But God was with him every step. That is a promise that we tend to forget easily when things get rough, when things get out of control, at least from our perspective. The obstacles that Paul faced, the storm at sea, suggest a very powerful enemy. And I believe Luke wants us to understand that Paul was dealing with something supernatural, something that he was not able to uh, deal with in his own power and strength. An enemy more powerful than he was. Forces of evil always rally to oppose God's people's, uh, God's saving purposes. And Satan hasn't given up even after his defeat at the cross. Even though Jesus is raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, far beyond his jurisdiction, Satan turns his efforts against those of us who follow our Master. But God promises hope. John expresses this when he says in 1 John 2, uh, 3, verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. We can be filled with hope. Even at the moment the storm is at its peak, when things look worst around us, God's promise is that He will be with us. God will do it, and no force of hell can prevent it. If you look at verse 20 of our text, it says, 
when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay upon us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. When all lost hope, Paul is armed with God's promise. And that fills him with hope that he then begins to share with the others on the ship. He says, so take heart, men, for I have faith in the God, in God, and that it will be exactly as I have told, he says in 25. Even lives that look perfect on the outside, and don't we all try to present our lives as perfect? Well, we know the storms that batter us within, in relationships, in our families, in financial difficulties that we struggle with, in studies, the challenges that we seem to think we'll, we'll never be able to overcome, or worry about the future. Will I have a job? Will I be able to marry a person who would love me? God promises to be with us through it all. Paul uses his persuasive powers to keep everyone on board. And you know how it is. These are hardened criminals. They're not used to listening to others. They want to do what they want. It's time to leave. The ship is being battered. And yet, they listen to Paul. In verse 33 and 34 of the same chapter, and he urged them to eat. His hope led them away from passivity, just letting things be. When we lose hope, we lose motivation to do anything, even the right thing. We want an escape. We want to run away, like some of the sailors who were going to escape in, in the garb of lowering the ship's anchor. Where are you being attacked today? Where are you failing the pain? What struggles, relationships, finances, the future? To all God says that He will be with us. But there's a second promise as well. It's not just the promise that He will be with us. It's a promise that He will take us to that final destination, a promised destination. The path God has chosen is not always easy, and He doesn't always reveal it to us. After all, God is not in the business of fortune-telling. He's not an astrologer though he does know what exactly is going to happen in each of our lives, that's not his business. Paul reaches the destination that God promised him. He makes it to Rome in spite of deadly opposition in every step of the way. Paul could certainly have not predicted the course that God had in store for him. He did not know that he would 
you know, have to undergo these kinds of sufferings. Two years in jail, a difficult experience on a ship, 14 days without food, a snake bite that threatened to kill him. But God enabled him to have a greater witness through it all. He was able to stand in front of King Agrippa. And now we read in this chapter the words of the angel to Paul, you must stand before Caesar. Moreover, because of this particular path God chose, there were many on that ship who heard the gospel. And when he reached Rome and was imprisoned for two years, under house arrest, he was able to proclaim the gospel with boldness, without hindrance. Now the problem, of course, is that Paul didn't know all of these things till it happened. All he knew that was things were going from bad to worse. After the ship, after he abandons the ship, and finds himself clinging on to a piece of the shipwreck as he bobbles up and down on the waves. You can imagine, Paul, would he even dare to dream of a future, of the destination that God had promised him? But there he was, after a series of setbacks, one after the other. It didn't seem to be getting better. It just seemed to getting, be getting worse. And still, God brings him to that promised destination. Perhaps you're in such a place, bobbling up and down in the ocean of life, being tossed about slapped by the harsh realities of life. The harsh realities of temptation. Are you wondering, how in the world am I going to get to that place that God promises me? What difference does it make? What difference does the providence of God make in my life? when I'm being so badly bruised and battered by all of this. It doesn't take the suffering away. Paul was just as cold as everyone else, hungry just as everybody else for 14 days, weak. The providence of God doesn't remove the suffering but it does give us the ability to trust. Contentment and meaning in the present. In other words, the providence of God helps us live in the present and to avoid the grass is greener on the other side syndrome. You know, I work alongside several pastors who have been beaten. One of my friends was beaten 
with a seven-year-old son in front of him. And, you know, it's easy for men like Pastor Lazarus to say, I've had it. Let me move to a better place. Let me move and do something else where I don't get hammered. And I do in front of my seven-year-old son. For what? For sharing the good news of the gospel. The providence of God doesn't remove suffering, doesn't remove persecution, but it gives us the ability to know for sure and to trust that God knows what He's doing. Our need is to come to that place of accepting whatever God allows. That doesn't mean we don't try to, to do our best in what God is calling us to. It simply means we trust and take refuge in knowing that everything is allowed by the all-powerful hand of our Father in heaven. It does relieve anxiety, though. It does. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Says Matthew 6, 30. Rather than being the cause of self-pity, compromise or rebellion, the promised destination spurs us for greater trust and faithfulness. Though it often doesn't make sense at the moment, when the fuller picture is seen, we'll be able to say about the storms of our lives, your wisdom and grace were written all over that time in my life, and I praise you for it. God will always bring us to the place He has planned for us. If you've been there, if you and I had been there, we could never have planned our lives half as well on the contrary, if we had made plans for ourselves, our life would be a mess so great that you and I can't imagine. Rest certain that at the end of life, we will see that all has been done well and will be well forever if we spot laziness in our life, it's very likely there is a loss of hope lurking in our hearts. If we see unbelief, may the knowledge of God's strength strengthen us. May the knowledge of God's grace strengthen our faith in the divine assurance that our daily bread will be given to us. Our part shielded even amidst encircling evil.
and our soul will be guided by his counsel and kept by the power of God who brought back to life our Savior. That's the God we serve. That's the God who sustains you on this mountain and me on the other side of the globe. Do you trust God to change disappointment into his appointment? Disappointment? His appointment? Change one letter and the thwarting of our purpose is God's better choice. For you and me, there is no place for chance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, the world will tell us we're going down. Circumstances around us may point to hopelessness, but we thank you for your word that tells us there is hope. Hope because you are with us and that you will carry us to the very end. We thank you for this great hope and we pray, O oh Lord, that every single student, every one of us, would take this message to heart as we deal with life so that we might live it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.